take a chat with the homie Anthony Smith. Anthony's in the UFC. Many of you know his face and recognize his tattoos and unique hairstyle. Uh, you see him in the, the desk calling fights, talking about uh, you know the pre and post shows and various events. And um, you got one of the you know the most professional fights uh, any of the guys over. They get over fifty pro fights in, huh? Yeah, yeah. I've been at it a long time. Um, started early, and uh, the Midwest scene's a little different, so people are trying to get as many fights as they possibly can. There was times where I was fighting every weekend, um, fought anyone and everyone possible, looking for an opportunity and trying to pay the bills. That's a lot. There's you know you're still in your early thirties, had over fifty pro fights in, you know, one uh, you know many more than half when. Get 36 professional wins? Yeah, yeah. Um, I took a lot of losses early. Uh, I was in a lot of fights that, you know, mentally and emotionally I was ready to be in and, and maybe physically and technically I wasn't prepared for. Um, so I, I like to tell people that I've had two careers. I kind of had the early one where I, I learned a lot of lessons um, and, and kind of this last half of my career is, is, in my opinion, kind of the real one. Gotcha. What, what are some of those lessons? You know, my, my audience, they'd like to hear those the gritty stories of, you know, coming up that, that just, just to give you some context, you know, the, the type of people that are clients with me are, uh, um, I, I want to say it politely, but there's no, there's no lazy people. We don't do lazy shit. Uh, you have to fill out an application to work with me. I don't, you can't just click a button on a website and spend time with me or right. get my attention. So I only work with people that are, you know, above average education, above average work ethic, that they want to go do something, you know, and they, they might never went to college. So when I say education, that, it, you, know, they, you know, I'm a high school dropout. I went to college later. I got three college degrees after that, spent nine years in universities later. But, you know, some of my clients are people that never spent a day in college, but they're very talented. They're a talented athlete or a military person or, um, you know, they developed a, a craft, a skill. They're very good at something, you know? So I should say it more precisely. My clients are people, they, they already learned how to learn. They're already good at something. Right. And they got a great work ethic and they want help with the things that I help them with too. And you know, we kind of focus on, um, you know, just, just the no bullshit version of like, what does it take to get something done? What's that tough, gritty shit look like to actually get results instead of telling yourself happy stories and getting weak results, you know? Yeah. So what was that like early for you? It's ugly. It's ugly yeah. and it's, and it's, filled with a lot of pain to be honest with you it's i was i had the work ethic i had the the drive and determination and and, and i just didn't necessarily always have the tools behind me um to to maybe win not just in those individual fights but just in those life situations that i was being put in um but it's ugly man it's it's a lot of indian reservations in the midwest and the in the dakotas and and deep in farm towns in iowa fighting in barns and strip clubs and country bars where people are riding mechanical bulls while the fights are going on and the judges are smoking cigarettes, blowing the cigarette smoke into the, in, into the cage that you're fighting in. It's, you're spending more money to get to the fight and stay at the hotel than you're going to make if you win. And that's if you win. Um, if you lose, you're, you're, you're losing your ass and you're losing money that you didn't have anyways. Um, and, and those are the, those are, I think, I think those are the moments that define me. I think the, I think a lot of people kind of check back to that Glover to share fight where I was probably in the, I probably got the worst beating I've ever gotten in my life. Um, but I remember standing up in that fifth round and you know, you could, I could feel that everyone was worried. Um, and that a lot of people didn't want me to be in there in that fifth round. But I also remember thinking this isn't anything compared to a lot of the stuff that I've already dealt with just in life. Uh, and in my career previous, this is, this is temporary pain. I'm, fighting on the main event of an ESPN event. Um, 
making more money than I would have ever thought I could have ever made um, back in those days. So it wasn't that bad to me, you know, it's just, it's, it was my turn, uh, uh, to be in that situation. I put a lot of people in those situations, uh, as my career has gone over the last 15 years. So, um, I did, that's kind of how I looked at it, but those early days are, are, it's just pain and loss. And, you know, I can't even tell you how many relationships that I've lost because those relationships or friendships or people that, that I was involved with didn't line up with what I was trying to do. Um, and sometimes, uh, just through self-preservation, you end up in some relationships and situations that long-term aren't necessarily the best for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the moment, it's what you needed. You know, you, you end up with shitty characters and you end up hanging out with people that, that don't have your best interests in mind, but you know, for the short term, it's what you needed to get by uh, in that moment. Yeah, it made me think of many things in my own life that were uh, you know, not fun situations early in life that, um, yeah, my father was in prison most of my childhood. My mother wasn't the best mother. And, uh, you know, the, my audience knows the details and I won't spend your time with it. But, um, you know, I was kind of in charge of the house since I was about 10 years old. And uh, nobody wants to be in that spot, really. That's not really fun. No. So I had to learn a lot of things about, you know, leadership and entrepreneurship that I didn't necessarily want to learn at that age. And it was really miserable at the time. And, you know, a lot of those moments early on that made my life now were, you know, Nothing gets me excited, you know, in my you know, late 20s, 30s, 40s. Mm-hmm. So anything bad that happened to me, there, you'll get this. So I, I have a confidence from some of those experiences in life that, you know, I went to jail for like 90 days when I was a teenager. I was 17, 18 in adult jail. And at that time, there's no cameras there. So, you know, if, if, you don't, if you're not willing to fight when you walk in there, you got different type of problems. <laughs> right. I wasn't open-minded about those problems. So you're going to fight on day one. And maybe a few more times, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I got stabbed when I was young, different, you know, those type of experiences, you know, and, you know, today, if people are, I mean, as silly as this might sound to you, is, you know, people, uh, if I have a, a, a bad day in the stock market, people say, oh, you're okay. Like, yeah, but I'm fine. Good. You know, I had, I had plenty of good days in the stock market too. So right. I, I and, and that's kind of my, my point. Like there's, <laughs> A bad day in a UFC fight um, is not the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal. It's there will be more fights, um, and I'll be back on the other side of that at some point in time. It's it, it's I don't know if it's ironic or or uh, it's really interesting. Like I did spend a lot of time, you know, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, in and out of jail for a lot of stupid shit. You know, I I never hurt anybody. I never stole from anybody. And it was a lot of things I was doing to myself. It was a lot of partying and, and, you know, I had some loss in my life and trying to, you know, I just acted out and ended up in some bad situations. My, you know, my dad was a, was a crack cocaine addict from the time I was five years old. He was in and out of prison himself. Um, you know, fortunately we were able to work that out, um, a few years before he died, but you know, my, my mom was a good person. She worked really hard, but she just wasn't necessarily present. She had two kids that she's trying to raise on her own. So, um, I think maybe I mirror you a little bit in that, like just kind of had to just figure it out. You know, I was, I don't want to say I was on my own cause I had people around that cared, but, um, I kind of had to learn life, um, kind of a tr- on a trial and error basis. <laughs> that's for sure. I talk about that a lot and, uh, I call it guess and check, you know? Yeah. And if you had to, cause, you know, I was, I was 10, 11, 12, you know, and I knew I wanted a lot better life, but I'm just a fucking kid and I don't, you know, I don't know what to do or, and I didn't have really 
I had a lot of negative role models. I had a lot of people around me that, um, you know, you've seen things in the community where, like, I, I see heroin is not a good idea. Like, that's not a good life path right. forward, you know? You know, later on, um, as an adult, you know, in graduate school, I had professors that were like Nobel Prize winners, like plural, you know? Where now I have like, you know, multi-time champion athletes that come train with me in boxing or MMA and stuff. And um, at that time, you know, as a kid, I. I would have done anything to have, you know, just a, like a, a normal middle class person to kind of play the other right way. <laughs> right. So, hey, man, you know, less of this and more of that. Right. Just a normal guy yeah. guiding you in the right direction would have been okay then. <laughs> so that's something that I, I kind of got addicted to that idea. I'm curious your thought about it. But, you know, I, it, that was so painful to me to go do guess and check, you know, where you got to try something and you get, you know, smacked around physically or smacked around, you know, psychologically in life because, mm -hmm. uh, you don't know any better. And at least you tried, at least you're trying to do something. And, you know, to my credit, or I imagine you're the same type of person to your credit, that like, you know, when you had some early setbacks, you, uh, you were resilient to be like, you know, I, right, well, I found something that didn't work well. So let me try something different, you know? Yeah. But I, I got really addicted to the idea of, uh, I wanted to go find the best coaches or mentors or trainers, anything new that I want to learn. I, I, I still have such like, psychological pain, if you will, or, or mm -hmm. memories of that from early in life that I'm like, I think it's very painful to try to figure shit out by yourself. So I just want to find like the best people that are doing something and, you know, make it worth their while to help me. You know, I, I compare, uh, at least it's a good analogy for me. Um, the way that I parent uh, my own children is, is very similar to how kind of I've been leading my whole life. I didn't have the father figure in my life to like teach me, this is how you do this. And this is how this is supposed to go. And, and you know, here's your punishment for this. Like I didn't, I didn't have that person doing that. Uh, my mom was working really hard uh, to keep a roof over our head. And, and I had to figure that stuff out. So I know exactly what not to do as a parent um, because of my own life experiences. Cause I know what I missed out on. I know where I would have liked to have, have had a father figure or someone that was kind of guiding me through life. Um, and I use that moving forward in my own children. So I don't necessarily listen. People pretend that they know exactly the right things to do as a parent. <laughs> Everyone's got to figure it out. I don't know shit about shit. And I got a 10 year old, you know, they're 10, seven, four and three and a half months. So, and I still don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I know what not to do. I know the things that aren't going to work. I know the things that didn't work with me. I know the things that I missed out on. So I just try to do the opposite of that. So, and that's, and that's kind of how I've, how I figured it out. Like, I, and I think I'm doing an okay job and I still fuck it up a lot, but, um, that's kind of how I look at life. Like, all right, I got all these, I got this whole huge sample size of things that didn't work. And I just use that and figure out, okay, I remember doing that. So I'm just not, I'm not going to do that thing. So if there's ever a choice where I have three things, like this is kind of the direction I can go those two things didn't work one time. So it just, it takes kind of all my guesswork out of it because I had all that pain, all that experience, all the negative things that went wrong. I'm going to try this thing that I haven't done yet. And there's, there's a good chance that I'm going to, it's going to end up getting checked back with the other things that didn't fucking work either. Um, but at least I'm not making those same mistakes again. Can, can we go back before we talk to some of the, the great successes that come later? Can we go back and talk about maybe one of those memorable moments from the, you know, early in your career when you're in the, the barn in Iowa. I grew up in Illinois, by the way, and I and I know Iowa pretty well. So I could, when you say that, it's very you know visual to yeah, me. That I can yeah. imagine being in a barn in Iowa and you know a rural community. But maybe, maybe whatever the context is, you know, one of those, you know, what what is a rough night like at that time where you have the 
the judge with the the cigarette smoke or uh, rough environment, rough situation. Could you, could you paint a, a vivid picture of one of those uh, you know, tougher moments in life? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think like a lot of people, um, and, and I'm sure a lot of your clients can can relate to this. I think when you're young and you have, your, you know, you, whether it's your first love or whether it's your first heartbreak or whatever it is, um, I just ended up in a real bad situation in life. And, you know, I kind of turned to, to alcohol and, and was, was just partying my ass off. And, you know, I ended up getting into a long story short, you know, it, it's, it's easy to look it up. I, I ended up in a drinking and driving accident and uh, I was 20 years old. Um, was life flighted, was on life support. It, it was a big old mess, but, um, and I, and I talk about this concept that I'm going to kind of explain a lot. And as I've moved forward from that, but I call it the home run mentality. Um, so I, I didn't get in trouble. I went to jail. I was on probation. The, the judge gave me a chance to kind of turn my life around. Um, and I remember taking a fight with a guy named, um, God damn, his last name was uh, Lynch. Charlie Lynch was on the ultimate fighter. Um, real early, uh, Dana White famously says Charlie Lynch had the worst broken nose he's ever seen in his whole life. But um, we get offered this fight with a guy named Charlie Lynch. Um, he's a Minnesota guy, and it's in some just bullshit BFE place. Um, and I shouldn't have been fighting. You know, I was fresh out of a car accident. It was probably only a couple months later. And in my mind, if I can just go there and I can just beat this Charlie Lynch guy, I, I think I had lost a couple fights in a row at that point too. If I can just go there and I can beat Charlie Lynch, I'll just swing for the fences. Um, not, and not so much literally, not even in the fight, but if I can just swing big and get myself into a big opportunity, it'll make all this negative stuff go away that's happening to me right now. And, and I'll get back on track. Um, and so I go there, the, the fight is on my 21st birthday. Um, and Charlie Lynch beats the absolute shit out of me. Um, I just wasn't prepared, um, to be in that situation. Um, I, I, emotionally in that point in my life, but even technically I didn't have the skills to be the guy like Charlie Lynch at that time. Um, and I just remember how terrible of a feeling that was afterwards. Like I'd lost a couple of fights. I'd been in this horrific accident. Um, I was the idiot who was drinking and driving. I was embarrassed. Um, I was in all this trouble. Um, my career was going nowhere. I was definitely not going to make it. Um, I was fighting the the urge to do all the stupid shit that was going to get me put back in jail. Um, went to this place and think I'm going to beat this guy and, and it's going to fix everything. And, and it didn't, uh, I ended up in a worse place. And, and that's one of the, there's three low moments in my life, um, that stand out to me. And, and that was, that was probably the first one. Um, that was the, the first kind of turning point in my life, trying to figure out, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I good enough to be here? Am I going to make it? Am I going to, am I going to make it not just in this sport? Am I going to make it in life? And where am I going to end up? And you know, it's, that was, that was my fork in the road. That was kind of which way are we going on these tracks? Yeah, those are, uh, those are tough moments, man. And, um, where, where did you turn that around or what was, what was the thought process that helped you turn that around that goes from that to, you, you beat some really tough guys, you know, recently in your career, in recent years, you beat, you know, a couple former champions, went five rounds with John Jones. Mm -hmm. I don't know that, uh, I'm not sure that round one would work out so good for me. <laughs> five <laughs> seems very impressive to yeah. me. Um, what was that? What, what, what was the, the thought in your head 
or the the series of events that led to the thought that the, turned that around to you know help you become the person that you are today and some of the fantastic successes you've had so far you know at, at that time i had to figure out well first of all i think when it comes to people being successful i think you have to know what you want and and it, it has to be specific uh i think it's easy to say I want to be successful or I want to be rich or I want to be champion of the world. Like that's, they're so vague that it like, that doesn't actually fucking mean anything. It really doesn't like totally agree. I don't want to interrupt. I totally agree. Like what, what does that mean? Like what does success mean to me? Well, at that point in time, success to me meant going to the gas pump and putting it and putting the hose in my car and filling it up and not looking what it costs and just being able to fill it up. Uh, I was going to the grocery store and getting what I needed, not what, could I, what I could afford. Um, that was successful to me at that time in my life. So um, I had to, you know, and, and I, I, I had had some people that were, that believed in me and, and my skills and abilities and were more successful than, than I was. And uh, I've been very fortunate. It wasn't something that I sought out. I was got very lucky that um, people were able to, they were, they were able to see through the bullshit and the stuff that was going around, around me and the, maybe the storm that I was creating myself, um, they could see the real me and they could see the real drive and, and the, the, my willingness to work and, and give max effort. So, um, that's, that's kind of what the people around me helped me do is, is we need to take this big, broad, vague goal of being, I want to be a world champion. Well, I don't even know what the hell that meant. Like there's a lot of other shit that has to happen before you can be a world champion. Like you got to be able to throw a straight punch first. You got to be able to beat guys on the regional scene. You got to be able to make it to the UFC first before you can be a world champion. So like, let's just forget about this world champion thing. Like is that's a long-term goal. It's always going to be the goal. Let's stop even thinking about that. Cause there's other things we need to get to first. And those are going to take a long time first. So you're, you're almost fogging your own brain because you're putting this unattainable goal that, at that time, it was impossible for me to be a world champion because I hadn't done those other things. So um, that was number one, was just figuring out what those next steps were. So it was, well, we have to get on a winning streak first. We have to, we have to win, <laughs> you know, that's important. So we got to win those fights first. Um, and that was as far as I was allowed to think. It wasn't, I want to win fights and make it to the UFC. It was, we just need to win fights because below that goal is a lot of skills and abilities that I don't have that I need to have. Um, and we have to figure those out. So I started it. I want to be a world champion. And then it got down to, okay, I need to be in the UFC. Well, that's not specific enough. Okay. We need to win fights. Well, that's not even specific enough. We need to figure out how to be more defensively responsible to break it down even more specific. I need, how do I not take damage in these fights? Because that's the problem. Uh, how do I not get tired? Okay. We need to up my strength and conditioning. Uh, I, I'm getting smitten. Okay. We need to start working on my jujitsu. So I just, broke it down individually um, and started knocking those goals out a little bit at a time and stop looking at the top of Mount Everest and, and saying, I just want to get up there. Well, there's a lot of shit that has to happen before you can climb it to, you know, to the summit of Mount Everest. So um, that, that's, that's step one. Um, obviously there's a lot of other problems. You're going to run into things. Some of those goals are not going to happen as quickly as you want them to. Um, some of them you're going to achieve and, and, and then you're going to fail after that and you're going to, you're going to get checked back down and you're going to have to do it again. Um, so that's, you know, that's my, that was my step one was stop looking at the peak and, and, and the summit of wherever I'm trying to climb and figure out the, you know, the tiny rungs, those ladders to get there. 
you know, in, in uh, a digital course I created, I made a, about a 70 page workbook about this topic, about uh, to answer three questions, which for some people, they, they think that's a little boring. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't, I wouldn't pay a nickel for their future because they, <laughs> they don't care about their own life enough to, to set those goals precisely. Right. And, and, you know, those three questions are just simply that, um, you know, what kind of man am I or what kind of person am I? And I'm not politically correct at all. I'm just saying that, that, you know, I have women in my audience too, mm -hmm. you know? So what kind of person am I? What kind of life do I want to live? Who would be the right companions, the best companions for that life? Mm -hmm. And those aren't noble questions, you know? Right. Those aren't, you know, those aren't necessarily you answer that in a fluffy, pretty way. It's like, no, what, what sort of beast, what sort of creature am I? Mm -hmm. What sort of life do I want to live, given that nature about oneself? Which might not be flattering, might not be what your, your mommy or, you know, whoever else wants to right. think about you. But who are you really? What do you really want? Well, and those can be, those answers can be as deep or as shallow as you want them to be, depending yeah. on what you're yeah. trying to do. The people that take the time to answer those three questions, they universally write me thank you emails. I get, you know, dozens every week. Mm -hmm. They universally write me thank you, thank you. You know, that, that helped me focus in on this and accomplish this. Help me focus in on that and accomplish this. And now I think I can do this now. Mm -hmm. So the people that actually take the time to do that, they, they send me you know, beautiful emails. And, uh, you know, the people that don't, you never heard from them because they're just fumbling around, yeah. just fumble around, see right. where life takes them, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I don't think you could have your the best possible outcomes without a without a serious goal. And then those micro goals, the way, you know, you and I might use different words to describe it, right. but same principle. It's the same thing, yeah. Same, same principle. Thing. So you start filling in those voids then in uh, early stages or filling in those voids of, you mm -hmm. know, how to be a better striker, how to defend yourself against submissions better, mm -hmm. um, you know, how to do submissions probably, et cetera. Yeah. And, um, how did that change in your results when you start getting serious about goals and focusing in on those those more micro details? What happened to your results and your confidence after that? Well, oddly enough, um, setting those goals by themselves made my life better. Like before we even get to the technical skills and abilities and what I did for my career, um, it made my life better because I, I, I instead of having this, you know, again, I talk about the summit all the time, but in, instead of just staring up at this you know, thing that's so far away that I don't know how to get to, um, that inherently leaves you kind of fumbling around a little bit. You just, you don't really have a direction because you can walk a mile in either direction and you're no closer to the top. So, um, that's kind of what I was doing up to that point. Once I started having those, 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 I, I guess those checkpoints, those, those smaller goals, those, maybe those more attainable ones. Um, it seemed to give a little more purpose to my life because I, mean, I think there's some confidence that comes along with, uh, and I think some of it's bullshit and some of it's necessary, um, but there's some confidence with meeting goals, even if they're small and maybe they're easier to attain. Um, you just get, a, you, you get some confidence from that. You get some, some, I think it's the very root of self-esteem. How, how could a person yeah. feel confident about themselves if they weren't competent at something? Right. If right. you didn't have the competency to accomplish something or to perform a task consistently, right. a person shouldn't have the right. They, they don't. A person doesn't have the right to feel confident about themselves if they can't do anything well. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the very root of self-esteem of setting a goal and right. accomplishing that. And then you have the audacity to set a little bigger one. Right. And then, well, then you feel good about yourself. Mm -hmm. And um, it's the reason that I dress the way that I dress. It's the reason I, I like to wear nice shoes. Uh, if you feel good, you're just going to be good. And, and as you're accomplishing those goals, you start to feel better about yourself. Well, the better you feel about yourself, you, you know, it, we talked a little bit about my, just a small bit about my upbringing and 
the things that I went through, didn't always feel good about myself. So then you start to feel good about yourself and then you, you get a little confidence and you get a swag about yourself a little bit. And, and even though they're small goals, it, you know, goddamn it, it's time they're important to me. <clears throat> Excuse me. They were important to me. And, uh, and that's how it started. So then your life started to get a little bit better. Um, and you know, I, I, purpose really is purpose means something. And, and I had a purpose and I, I hadn't had one up to that point. I knew what I knew that I wanted to be successful. I didn't know necessarily what that meant, but I had a purpose and, and I felt, I felt value. And again, fortunately I've, I've been so blessed to have people around me that, um, even, even earlier on, um, you know, the, the regular Joes that are, have fantastic souls. They're just good people. And, and, you know, nobody knows their name even to this day, but those are people that I hold very dear because those, those are the ones that helped me a lot. So, um, and then as, and as I went on, I started to be successful, I started winning fights, you know, you feel good getting your hand raised, even if it's in some shit barn in Iowa or some strip club or, or you know, it's for no money and, and no one actually gives a shit, but I felt good because it feels good to win. And, you, you just want that feeling, you know what I mean? I don't want to, I don't, whatever you say, you want to fight in a strip club, I think is somehow my, it, it, it makes me giggle inside. And, and you know, I, I gave Club Myth in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's no longer open. It's fan, it was fantastic though. Sincere thought, right out the window is Sapphire just over here. Okay. And they're, if they have, uh, I don't give a shit about strip clubs. I always had pretty girls in my life, despite being fat or grumpy or whatever else I am. <laughs> I could always have a pretty girl, no problem. But I, I had to do a, a talk once. There's there's like a auditorium type thing over there. It's not huge, but mm -hmm. there's like a showroom that maybe there's like 150 seats or something. Yeah. And I, I did a, a talk on the stage over there at Sapphire. <laughs> and when you when you talk about uh, you know winning a fight there, it's, somehow that keeps flashing in my head. And <laughs> me on stage at a strip club, and you know they have these big cushy stair, uh, chairs. Mm -hmm. um, there's people in back, there's like a bar in the back where it's like noisy that mm -hmm. you're, you're doing like a, you know, a public talk slash sales event. Right. And it's noisy. There's like bar sounds of clinking glasses and ice and like, you know, in the middle of your talk. And then, and, and you're, you know, it's, uh, people are out partying late cause it's Vegas and then they're showing up to your talk and they're tired and they're mm -hmm. in these cushy chairs and they're literally falling asleep. in the room. It, was, <laughs> it was the worst, you know, if I, if I, with that type of, with that number of people in the audience, if I did a, you know, like a, a public talk where there was a sales component to it, I'd expect to have, you know, yeah, hundred thousand, hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars in sales. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, maybe we did 40, something like that, because <laughs> it was such a terrible environment. Right. It was such a terrible, it's dim. Yeah, it's dark. It's, <laughs> so, it's a hard place to sell things. Whenever, when you keep saying this, uh, you know, strip club you mentioned a couple times, mm -hmm. having to fight in that environment. I but, fought there a couple times. Uh, yeah, okay. more than, uh, probably two or three times. It, it was a cool environment, though. It really was, you know, like, <laughs> looking back on it, I'm really fortunate that it happened. But just uh, at the time, I remember thinking, what in the hell am I doing? Like, I'm fist fighting people for <clears throat> money in, in a strip club and the, the ring girls are working. So it's, you know, whoever the ring girl is, the girl that's not dancing for someone in another room. It's uh, the, the atmosphere was cool though. Like the, it had this kind of this bowl in the middle of it and it had this catwalk around the, around the top and the cage was set down into the bowl. So it was like this real fight club feel and like people were just standing around this balcony that was just a little bit higher than the top of the cage. Um, man, I would it, now, 
I would go back and do that again, <laughs> just because, just for the experience, you know, just how, how cool it felt. But at the time, I was like, what in the hell is happening here? What, what kind of money are you making at that point in your career? Oh, maybe 500 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe 500 bucks, maybe, maybe a thousand bucks to win. Um, I think my pro debut, um, I made really good money for that show in the area that I was in. And I think I made $2,000 to win. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. People, I think a lot of people don't understand that the, the, the fight game is so tough that, uh, even if you win, you might not make enough money to cover some medical bills. You know? Yeah. No, not, not, not even anywhere close. And some of those shows didn't even, you know, one of the biggest things back then was when the athletic commissions required the promoters to carry health insurance for the fighters. But up until that point, you know, you'd make 500 bucks and you'd have a $10,000 hospital bill. You know, yeah. it was, uh, people were losing their asses and bankrupting themselves to, to do this. I had a guy who tried to mug me once and uh, I don't have the right type of personality that I'm going to hand somebody my wallet. It's, right. They just don't sit well with me, you know? And uh, so he had a, a altercation about that. And, you know, but at the, at the end of that, there's no winner here. There's, I'm, I'm not saying that because it's cool or I'd right. rather the whole thing never happened, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I can say, cool, I, I kept my wallet. I still have the same wallet right here years later. I still have the same watch I was wearing at the time. But... You know, I also paid over $4,000 in dental bills to, to fix two broken teeth. Mm -hmm. um, I also had, uh, you know, hit my clothes ruined. I had blood from my, my mouth down to my ankles. Mm -hmm. Got a permanent scar here and inside my, my lip. And, uh, you know, my one ankle, I twisted my ankle in the mix of this. And uh, my ankle hurt for like 11 months. Like actually for 11 months, it just hurt yeah. know, before it was like normal again. And today I'm still like a little careful doing like calf raises or something that... I feel mm -hmm. like it, it would never be as strong as a, the original angle, you know? Yeah. So there's no winner. There's no winners there. There's no yeah. winner there. So yeah. I, I think about, you know, a few thousand dollars in medical bills. I didn't even go to a doctor. I just went to a dentist, you know, mm -hmm. so I never got an x-ray or anything else. But you could easily have, you know, ten, twenty thousand yeah. dollars $20,000 in medical expenses. Easy. Yeah. Happens fast. Yeah. yeah. To, to make no money, um, maybe you lose and, you know, maybe you never make it and you never make that back. You know, that's. That's the that's the the risk that we all take. I, I've I've seen some guys that I think that um, you know fighting was kind of like therapy for them. You know, mm -hmm. it helped them help them be more mature, help them stay out of trouble. Oddly mm -hmm. enough, yeah. to be able to fight in uh, you know in a, a sanctioned mm -hmm. I'm that guy. Know, professional spot. Yeah. yeah. How do you think about that? Uh, I I think that uh, I think it takes a certain type of person to to be competitive at this level. Um, you're at number four right now in the yeah, UFC number, 205. Yeah. What are yeah. you walking around at? 235 or so? Yeah. Right about 235 right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think for me, and I think my story is very similar. Maybe the details are different, but I think the idea is the same. It, it, I think some people are just different. I think they're just built differently. And I think sometimes those people don't necessarily always fit in to a box in society. And I think that this is one place where we can be ourselves, um, And I think the people that get addicted to being in those fights, I, I love fighting. I love winning. I love everything that comes along with that. I, I, I love, I love everything about it. But what I love the most is the actual act of fighting. Like the actual, like lots of people like winning. Everyone likes to win. Everyone likes to compete and be successful and, and be better at something than someone else, especially in those kind of one-on-one -on -one situations not a lot of people out there that genuinely enjoy the actual act of fighting. Um, we both watched Court McGee fight last night. Court yeah. McGee actually enjoys the act 
of fighting, the punches, the kicks, the, the wrestling, uh, taking and receiving. Um, there's not anywhere else I can get that. But no, I, I was I was in the front row for that fight, and I, I've seen Cord on TV before. I never saw him in you know in real life in mm -hmm. a fight. And uh, what really struck me about him, the guy's just calm, you know. Mm -hmm. And I made, I made a comment. I had a couple of my clients with me on my left and right. He had a big couch in the front row, mm -hmm. and I made a comment to them. I'm like, look at this guy. Is he just calm? Between rounds, he's just he's calm. He's not he's not trying to hype himself up. He's not trying to tell himself some bullshit. Like mm -hmm. it's a real professional that, um, you know, when I when I see a guy. You might have a, you know, a much more robust take on this, but when I see a guy that's trying to hype himself up or he needs a lot of hype men around mm -hmm. him, I'm like, does, you know, does he believe he's supposed to win this fight? Because right. a, a lot, lot of the don't. biggest things in my life that I, when I when I had a big victory at something, I was very well prepared. I thought about it for years ahead of time. Mm -hmm. I've been in similar situations dozens of times, and I'm just very calm. Mm -hmm. And you know, that, I think that's given me a, a significant advantage in some tumultuous times that other people would panic and you're calm. Yeah. That's a it's a hell of an advantage. That's also a man that is in a place where he's very comfortable. Uh, that's a guy that, you know, watching Court McGee in there, it's an inspiring thing for me. Um, a guy that's at his age, that's, that's had the miles he's had, uh, the miles that he had in life before he even got to the octagon. Um, his drug addiction that he, he does a lot of, <clears throat> he does a lot of traveling. He does a lot of, uh, you know, public speaking engagements where he's speaking to a hundred thousand people at a time, you know, uh, about, you know, his, his issues with addiction and, and how he came through it. Um, a guy that's so comfortable in chaos, uh, after everything he's been through is super inspiring to me. So, um, just seeing, you know, the, the calm that you talk about, that's a, that's a, that's a guy that like we talked about earlier is in a place that's, he's very happy to be in. But he's also been in a lot of really, really bad situations before. Um, he's 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 had a lot of loss, and and so this fight game stuff is, uh, it's a way to. I think that uh, I'm trying to remember who said it, but um, one of Chris Weidman's coaches says it a lot that you find out who you really are uh, when you're in the octagon and you're kind of deep in those really bad situations, um, and sometimes you don't like who that is, and sometimes. You really enjoy who that is and you want to continue to do it. And I think that that's my experience. I think that it's the one place that I can just be whoever the hell I actually am on the inside. Um, I think that's a similar experience the court has. And, and uh, I think that's what keeps bringing me back. You know, when you, when you uh, we talked about that, that therapy element or, you know, how you know, doing something you love or having, the, you know, like tough moments helps you find, you know, who you really are. And, uh, and I hear you sometimes, you know, you're, you're not going to like who that is. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you might be very proud of yourself that you, you feel a, a sense of pride or a deep respect for yourself that uh, a normal person who hasn't had, you know, similarly tough circumstances that they, they couldn't possibly know that about themselves. Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks they're a tough guy until they get into a really a bad situation. Right. Everybody thinks a lot of these people like, what a lot of lip service of mm -hmm. they're such a noble character and they're, they want to give, give, give and help, help, help. They haven't done shit in their life, right. but they, they want to help everybody. And they're, you know, <laughs> all the, these noble ideas with no foundation or no backbone behind them. Um, when you're in some of those tough spots, uh, you know, like you said, sometimes it's not going to be flattering, and, mm -hmm. but sometimes it's the you know you have a the the the, the most I'm trying to say it the right way, but you know the the most deep respect for yourself, or the most deep sense of legitimate pride, not cocky pride or hubris, but you're just right. like like nah, I'm 
you know, I am a tough man or I am a, a good man or mm -hmm. whoever you want to think about, you know, whatever the words might be in your head that when you get tested in another situation in life later and you have those reference points in your head of like, right. nah, I dealt with this, I dealt with this, I dealt with this. I had these couple experiences that I'm not proud of and I'm not going to repeat in life, but that, that doesn't take away, you know, I am this kind of man. Mm -hmm. I am this kind of man. I am this kind of man. And um, I mean, for, for some of those, if I, if I went back earlier in my life of like, uh, you know, I was 18 years old, uh, fresh out of county jail for the second time. And I was never there for drugs or stealing or shit like that. I was there for, you know, I, I mentioned it. I'd uh, been stabbed when I was a teenager. And I had a situation where a young man, again, different guy, is approaching me with a knife in his hand. And, you know, I was the sort of fellow and was around the sort of fellows that was were used to having guns around. And mm -hmm. uh, I didn't mean to shoot. I didn't shoot the guy. I didn't mean to shoot the guy. Well, easily could have if I wanted to. Right. But I just put, you know, fired a couple of shots, you know, near him, <laughs> near him to right. um, let him think about the decision that he was going to make next, you know? Right. Um, so it's frowned upon. Funny thing. It's frowned upon in my yeah. community to, yeah. <laughs> to shoot guns. Yeah, people don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, when I, yeah, I, I thought about, I was sitting around and I was watching all these idiots in county jail in, um, you, know, you know, the games that are played there, the, mm -hmm. you know, it's a series of buffooneries where people just telling bigger lies all day long about, you know, who they are, what they're up to or what they're about to do, you know? And uh, I thought, man, this is fucked. And um, I was the youngest one there. And I just lay around and read books. You know, I was always a nerdy type of guy that I wanted to learn stuff. So mm -hmm. I always wanted to learn something. And even when I was kicked out of school for some deviancy or fighting or something, I'd be at home like watching a documentary or reading books even when I was suspended. Right. So, <laughs> it's a, a weird childhood. But, um, you know, that, that I got a job, which I hadn't had before that because I was just hanging out with a bunch of street kids doing street kid things, you know. And um, I got a job at Walmart, and I laugh about this sometimes. That um, I'm not I'm not proud of it, but I lied on my application twice. I don't like to lie as I got older and more mature. That I'm very I like being myself, mm -hmm. and I don't. Sometimes people don't like that, and I don't give a fuck. I don't I don't right. necessarily need to be friends with those people, but I, I generally like myself. So I just like kind of front load my personality, and somebody's going to love it or not so much, and it's great mm -hmm. in sorting mechanism. But at this time. And I was 18, and I lied on an application to get a job at Walmart. And I, I had to say that I was a high school graduate, and also <laughs> that I had no criminal record. <laughs> now, when I went back the second time, I didn't have to go back to jail, but uh, I had a felony charge that they reduced to a misdemeanor. Mm -hmm. They had two felonies. They, they threw one away. Second one got reduced to a misdemeanor. So I, was, I went back into jail for 10 weeks in exchange for not having a, a felony record as mm -hmm. an adult. So I don't have any adult felonies, you know, there's a, that one misdemeanor conviction. But nonetheless, get a job at Walmart, had to say that, you know, no criminal record and um, high school graduate, which, you know, both of those things were false at the time. And um, when I, I walked in there, I was unloading trucks and stocking shelves which was, was not the, you know, this is not the peak yeah, moment. It's not like, it's, that's not the gig to have. <laughs> it wasn't my best year in life. And I, I thought to myself, you know, there's people here that are in their 30s, 40s, 50s unloading these trucks here. You know, there's some people mm -hmm. in their 60s that are here stocking shelves. And I thought, if, if I don't out-hustle, nobody here planned to be that, in that spot, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm like, if I can't out-hustle every person here, um, there's no reason to think that I wouldn't be in that same spot later in life, you know? Right. And there's plenty of people who have been there. You know, I got nothing against Walmart, by the way. But there's plenty of people who have been there 10, 20, 25 mm -hmm. years, you know. 
and they're just doing the same damn thing. Right. So that, that really was a wake up to me. That was that was more of a wake up call than going to jail itself. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, if I, can, if I can't outwork these people, maybe I belong here. Mm-hmm. So that was really like, um, you know, it made me compete with myself to like, I got to do a little better every day. I got to learn my manager's job. I got to learn their manager's job. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it set me on that track to be, um, you know, don't take your break. Just keep your work momentum. Get more done than other people. Don't complain. Get shit done. Right. And that, and that helped me a lot later in life. But it wasn't a happy moment. No. It wasn't a happy time. No, I have a very similar experience. I uh, When I got in a little bit, of, I got in that, that trouble with the car accident. Uh, I was fighting at the time. Obviously, it wasn't good. It wasn't doing well. But um, I had an alcohol monitor put on my ankle for a while. Um, it's very similar to a house arrest uh, monitor. Again, I was 20, 21. Um, and so I had to go, you know, uh, I had to go get a real job for a while because I was in a lot of trouble. So um, I got a job at a meatpacking plant and I was working third shift. It was overnights. Yeah. Um, and I, I can't, it was freezing. You know, it's like 33 degrees in there all the time because of all the, the raw meat and just the smell of, uh, even to this day, the smell still bothers me. Like I'm not a weird guy with raw meat or anything like that, but the smell immediately takes me back mm-hmm. to being in that meatpacking plant. And I remember thinking, uh, like seeing the, yeah, one of my, one of my coworkers was, it turned out to be a good friend, um, was out on parole. Uh, he had, he had done 10 years in feds for drugs and, and I met him there working and fantastic guy had really turned his life around. Um, but this was his winning. Like I remember him being, he was so excited about this job. He was making better money than he would make, whether it was doing fast food or, uh, you know, some other things. He was, it was like 14 or $15 an hour at the time. Um, he was doing well on parole. He was staying clean. He found a girl that he liked. He'd been hanging out with and spending time with his kid. Um, then he hadn't been doing a lot of this stuff, you know, before he went to prison. So, um, I remember one being happy for him, but two realizing that there's everything in life is, a, is it's, it's all your perception. Like I was in the worst place I've ever been in in my whole life. Um, and I hated every second of it, but this guy, was in the, he was so happy to be there. He was happy to be working. People talked to him. He felt like he, he had a, val- a lot of value to his life because he'd been there a while. He was really good at his job. He was, you know, he was kind of running shit back there. Um, and, and I remember thinking like, this might be his dream, but this is not mine. Uh-huh. Like, I don't want to be here very long. Um, which takes me to my second, uh, worst moment of my life that those three crossroads that I talk about a lot. Um, I'd met my wife, um, and we, uh, she was pregnant. Um, we hadn't known each other very <laughs> full, you know, full disclosure. We hadn't known each other very long. Um, she ends up pregnant. Um, we're having a daughter. She's about eight months pregnant at this time. And, you know, just things were again, like I was doing okay. Like I was, I was figuring it out. It wasn't happening fast. Um, I, I think I had just gotten signed to strike force or uh, was about to be signed. Um, so I was winning and I was figuring those small goals out and like, I just wasn't where I needed to be. Like it was barely paying our bills. We were, you know, using credit cards and borrowing money from people and and just, just doing anything I could do to make it. But like, we could barely feed ourselves. So I remember pulling into a, it's a place in Omaha. It's called bag and save just a grocery store. And it's like eight o'clock at night and we're hungry and neither one of us have any money. And so we're scrounging for change to buy spaghetti and 
because spaghetti is fairly cheap. Noodles are cheap. Meat sauce is pretty cheap. So we scrounge enough. You can eat off of it for a couple of days. Um, and we scrounge all this money and, and we pull into the parking lot. And I am too embarrassed to go in with her. Like, I, I, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I was, <clears throat> that was, it was such, it's a terrible moment in my life. And I was such a fucking coward. I sent my now wife at the time, girlfriend, eight months pregnant into a grocery store to pay for spaghetti with nickels and dimes and quarters because I was too embarrassed to go in with her. Um, and that's, that's my, that's, that's like probably the most embarrassed I've ever been for sure. Um, and it's, it, that's the, the moments that I'll never go back to. So like that cargo moment was, I remember thinking, I'll never fucking do this again. I'm going to get out of here somehow. I'm going to get out of here. And then I, and I did, and you know, it, it was, I was better, but I wasn't where I needed to be. And then, you know, that's where I talked about, sometimes you start to achieve those goals and then you get knocked back down. Like I was knocked back down in that parking lot of the grocery store. Um, and I think those are, again, those are crossroads. You can say, fuck it, I'm never going to do it. And you can go back to Cargill and get a steady paycheck and make okay money enough to at least feed yourself. Um, there's a lot of people that support their families on those, on, on those salaries. I'm, I'm not knocking that at all. There's a lot of people that live really good lives doing that. It's just, I, that was the moment I could have went back to Cargill and, and done that thing where I'm just going to work and, and, forget the goals and forget the dreams and all this other stuff that I've been working on. Um, and then that was, you know, I had a choice to make at that point in time. It was a terrible fucking time. It was awful. I, I hate to do this to you, but you gave me, you told me there's three moments and you gave me two. So now I got to ask you for the third one. Uh, John Jones, oh, yeah. jo John Jones. So John Jones was the, uh, you know, that's a, that's a, obviously that's a, a, fast forward from that parking lot grocery store. Um, but that was, that was another one of those moments where you, you can go one way or the other. Um, I think Calvin Cater had one, um, most recently in his fight where you can fall back, you can fall forward, you know, it's, it, you're going to get better from it. Or you're going to get worse. And, and that's, that's what happened in, in the fight with John Jones. I, I, I brought a small percentage, uh, of my capabilities and skills to that fight. And sometimes that's just the fight game. You know, and, and that's the, that's the beauty in it that, but that's also the, the curse that a, the, the best guy doesn't always win. Um, and B, you don't always bring your best product to the table. Um, and a lot of times it's at no fault of your own. It's, it's sometimes, some days you wake up and you just don't have it. And sometimes you, you know, you just slip on a banana peel and, and you, whether it's the moment or, or just the day and, it's hard to be perfect every single day and you never know when you're not going to be. So I, had, I just had one of those moments where I didn't get a fair shake at it. In my opinion, I, I didn't, I, I haven't seen the fight and some of my, my audience may or may not have, but uh, I'm going to go back and look at it now that mm -hmm. we're talking about it, but I haven't seen the fight. What do you, what happened there? I, I don't know. I just didn't show up. I, I didn't show up. I, I think I expected, <clears throat> um, you know, John Jones is the greatest mixed martial artist that we've ever seen. Um, he, I, I think I expected him to be better. I think I expected him to be better. And I, I just didn't, he didn't do a lot of the stuff I expected him to do. He, I've been chasing this monster my whole career. And then when I got there, I didn't, there wasn't a monster. And, and I think it threw me off. 
um, he did a good job neutralizing me. I, I, he didn't, he didn't hurt me. He didn't, I don't necessarily think he beat me. He just stopped me from beating him. You know, I got neutralized. Um, and it, it was just a, it was a tough moment because it, had I gone in, um, I guess for, you know, for, for your viewers and listeners, you go back and watch my fight with uh, Glover Teixeira. The fight doesn't bother me at all. And he beat me from pillar to post uh, after the second round. He, he, he had people in the crowd and, and the announcers and Dana White begging my team to stop the fight. He, he, I, I've never had a beating like that. I'm not, there's not too many times I've ever seen anybody get a beating like that. And that doesn't bother me even a little bit. Because I just for anybody that doesn't know, at the moment we're talking here, Glover is the current champion. Mm -hmm. John Jones is long reigning champion. Mm -hmm. You know, twenty some wins, one loss. Yeah, they're they're the two best guys in the world. The two best guys in the world. And I that, but that Glover fight doesn't bother me at all because whatever circumstances were going on in my life, um, I'll never make an excuse. Glover beat me fair fair and square. Uh, I'm better than that, and and then that's okay. But. I gave everything I had to give. I did everything I could possibly do to win. I gave max effort. I never gave up on myself. Um, I stood up and faced uh, a storm that 99.9% of UFC fighters, not just humans walking the earth, the the toughest, grittiest, baddest motherfuckers on the planet, 99.9% of those people wouldn't have got up off that stool every single time I did. Um, And I'm very proud of that. So I'm okay with that. Loss happens. And, and it doesn't always go your way. Uh, it, it's what you do after that. And it's how you feel about yourself afterwards. I was fine with it. it. It just wasn't my night. I'll get that one back and I'm okay with that. So, but the John Jones thing was different. I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't empty the tank and I didn't give everything I had. I didn't, I just didn't give myself a chance to win. And that one bothers me, not because of the loss, it's because of my performance in the loss. Um, and, the, and then that's where that crossroad happens. You see a lot of guys get to titles, whether that's, I don't even want to just say titles. You get a lot, you see a lot of guys get the opportunity, um, guys or girls, whether it's sports or business or life or career or whatever, they get, they get the opportunity to get to the pinnacle and get everything that they've ever wanted. And then they don't, it goes one of two ways. You're either more motivated by it because you didn't get it and you're going to fix the problems that, that got you in that situation and, and it's going to motivate you more or you see people fall off. So you see a lot of former title challengers, whether it's boxing or the UFC or, or whatever it is, they get there once and then you never see them get back to it again because it was too much for them to, to lose. And I think some of it's fear of losing again. I think some of it is maybe it wasn't worth it. Maybe it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. Um, and you know, and, and then they kind of fade off into, you know, obscurity. So um, that was my moment and that was, that was my, third and final kind of crossroads in life. And I followed it up eight weeks later by beating the number number one guy in the world and putting myself right back into contention. And, and that, that feeling motivated me. And, and I think some of it is, some, some of it is just who I am as a person, like in here. Um, it wasn't a hard decision for me to make. I was already close and. Who was number one at that time? Who would... uh, Alexander Gustafson. Gotcha. Yeah. In his hometown in Stockholm, Sweden. So, um, that was the, you know, and, and that was the one time that the home run, man. yeah, that the, that was the one time the home run mentality worked for me where, okay, I just lost to John. I'll just, I'll get the next best guy. I'm going to swing for the fences and make it all go away. Um, now, you beat some previous champions as well. Those mm-hmm. some really tough guys. 
what is it, what's a tidbit that you could share that's maybe not, you know, not only personal to you, but you think is applicable to others that are, you're in a tough situation and what's, what's the internal psychology note that makes a big difference, you know, now that you've had these experiences that have gone well and, and not so well or not as planned, um, key moment, you're fighting for the title or fighting a, you know, former champion. What, what's the note you have to make to yourself? What's the note you would tell others here that in a, that important moment in your day, that important moment in your life, what kind of head, headspace does a person have to be in to be successful in those times? You know, I'm, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a risk here and, and give my very honest opinion on, on something that I think has been one of the most important lessons I've ever learned, but it's not going to be well received by everybody. Perfect. Um, nobody, it starts off with, I say this, at, I, I've said this several times at youth prisons and, and, and programs for fathers that are trying to work their way back into society. No one actually gives a fuck about you. They genuinely, like as all, generally, there's people that are close to you that, that care, but like generally the world doesn't give a fuck about you. And people have this misconception um, that if they're going to be successful or they're going to do these great things that people are going to care. No one cares. Yeah. They really don't. Um, Everyone's doing their own thing. And then if you're doing it to try to impress people, you're going to, you're going to find yourself in a really bad situation because you're going to figure out at the, at the worst time that no one cares. So that's, that's kind of my, my generality as far as like, that's my generalization of just no one actually gives a fuck about you. So you have to worry about yourself for sure. But I think people want to feel really good while they're going through these tough situations. They're looking for some guru or some person or some program or some, some body to make them feel good while they go through hell. And that's not how it works. It, it, it's almost as if people think I need to feel really good about what I'm doing so that I can keep continuing to go through the fire. Um, and that's, that's not how it works. Like people talk about confidence and they talk about uh, motivation and like, you don't need to be confident to do the fucking work. You don't need to have the motivation. Um, and, and motivation and confidence are just words. Like, I don't really believe they're real things. Like I'm, I'm sure that there's, there's some, there's some data or there's some, you know, there's some feeling behind that that maybe is real, but those words I'm not really tied to. Um, when I hear motivation, I find this extraordinarily annoying. So I got 3.7 million followers <clears throat> on Instagram at the moment. And I get constant messages, messages, you're, you're, you're a motivational coach. And no, I'm not. Hmm? I, don't, I don't want one client. I don't want fans. I don't give a shit about fans. A fan means like fanatic, which mm -hmm. means like some stalker, weirdo dude that like doesn't know who you are, doesn't even think you're a person. He doesn't even think you're like a real human. Right. It's like it has some weird abstraction in there. I don't want fans. I want, I want high quality clients that are people that I would respect, people that I'd enjoy spending time with. Mm -hmm. I want high quality friends, high quality clients. I don't want any fans. Couldn't give a shit less about a, a fan. Mm -hmm. right? And then this motivation thing, this, you're a motivational coach. I'm not a motivational coach. If you're not already motivated, they're not qualified to work with me. Right. I don't want to work with, I can't be responsible. I'm not always motivated, but at times I'm not motivated. If I'm working towards a goal, then you have to be disciplined. 100%. Most of the time, I'm not motivated. I don't want to fucking sleep three hours and get up and go do tough shit all day. Mm -hmm. but I'm like, well, the success gods don't give a shit what I feel like. Right. Those are literally my self-talk. Those are the words in my head. It's like, well, the money gods don't care what I feel like, but they do care about the outcomes I create today. Mm -hmm. The success gods, they don't care what I feel like today, but they do care about the outcomes that I create today. 
So that, that's how I think about some of those things. That's, I'm that's, not here to motivate anybody. You say it better than I do, but that's a hundred percent. You're less abrasive maybe about it at points, but that that's essentially my people reach out to me all the time on social media. What's your motivation? Like who gives a fuck? It doesn't matter. Like do the work and, and, and show up when you show up every single day and, and put in max effort and, and be disciplined and, and do what you're supposed to do. But it, the, the motivation thing and the, the, feeling good about it. You're not always going to feel good about what you're doing. You're not always going to be, you're not going to wake up in the morning and be, man, I cannot wait to just work super hard today and bust my ass. And I'm going to be working towards this goal. Like, are there days that that happens? Sometimes you wake up and you just feel good. But a lot of times you got a lot of shit going on. I got, I got kids and I got a wife and I got a house and I got a radio show and I got to work the desk and I got to study this. And and at the same time, (laughs) I still have a fight career. So I still have to train and I got to like, there's some days I don't feel like getting punched in the face. Like there's sometimes, sometimes I, you know, I think like, the audience finds that relatable. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I, I don't want to get up uh, at 7am and be punched in the face by 830. Like I just, some days I'm not feeling it, you know, and there's some days, you know, you're more, you're more willing to be a part of that, but it, it's not like that every day. So it, what's my motivation? It's, it's the outcome. That, that's, that's what I'm going towards. There's a goal. So it's, I need to win this fight because I have other goals that are, are predicated on me winning this fight. So that means I have to get up at seven. I got to drive to the gym and I have to stay away from my family during my training camp. I miss my kids. I'm, I miss my wife. I miss sleeping in my own bed. Like I hate all of that. There's no motivation that comes along with that. Um, it, it all sucks. It's all pain and suffering and I hate every second of it, but it's, it's the discipline. you like, you just have to do it. And I think that that's, that's probably the one thing that I learned the hard way along, along the way is that there, there's, there's no way that you're supposed to feel there's uh, no one gives a fuck how you feel. No one cares about you. You just have to do it anyways. Like it's like people can't start. Like they have this, this goal, and, but they can't start the goal until they feel right about it. And it's, you just have to do it anyways. Like that's, that's how it is. It's like scooping snow in the Midwest. Like, can't wait till it's warm before you scoop snow. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Like, it's fucking cold and you have to go do it. And that's that's how it is. I grew up in Illinois. So I, I uh, you know, we grew up on separate sides of Iowa. Mm-hmm. But I, I find that relatable yeah, and, and humorous. Yeah. That, uh, you can't wait till it's warm. You've got to go do it at the time <laughs> that's necessary. Yeah, or, the cold when it matters. or you can't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, I, I think a, a really a key note you hit. I want to say 10 things, but a really key note that you hit that... Um, you, you, everybody wants to have a, a top spot at something, you know, it's mm-hmm. a, it's an easy thought. So, Oh, I want to be the best of it. And you know, there, there's a difference between like, you know, a dream versus a goal mm-hmm. uh, and people on the internet, they want to talk in like, you know, nice fluffy words. They want everything to sound nice and sound pretty. And that's just not been my experience. The, the tougher thing, you know, the, the things that I'm most proud of in my life, you know, it wasn't always pretty, man. It wasn't always like, you know, easy, pretty, you know, I didn't have the, the best internal self-talk in my mind while I was going through some of those experiences. And, you know, for 15, I wasn't always this cheery and lighthearted. <laughs> I wasn't always so cheery. So, you know, earlier in life, I said a lot of mean things to myself. So, they, you know, when I wasn't motivated, I said, yeah, but I'm also not a bitch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, oh, you know, I don't feel like doing both. So, yeah, well, you know, the, the money guys don't care about my feelings. So do you want, do I want to embrace my feelings right now? Or do, do I want to go do something that's going to, help me provide for you know myself and my girlfriend and people I care about in the world. Mm-hmm. 
you know? I've so, negative talked myself while still doing it. Yeah. You know, like, I, you're I mean, not going to make it. You're probably not going to fucking make it. It's not going to happen. But I'm still putting one foot in the front of the other, headed that direction. And then you get there, you're like, holy shit, I made it. <laughs> Look at that. That's I weird. was about your age. You're 33 right now? 33. Yeah, yeah, I'm 42. And I was about your age by the time I, I could, like, I had a good separation or, or like, a, a good compartmentalization. I didn't have that at all through my 20s at all. I just like, the, the thought I had in my head is, are you behaving like a champ or a chump right now? I mean, mm -hmm. am I engaging in a behavior that would lead to a champion type outcome or a success in, in a goal? Mm -hmm. You know, or am I engaging in a behavior that would lead to just some mediocre shit, just some, some average chump outcome? Right. And I was cruel about that. You know, I was very mean to myself about it. And um, I think it was the right thing, honestly. Now, I found better tools later. Right. Where now I can say, you know, I'm like, you know what, dude, you got a fucking really long track record. You're going to go do the thing anyway. Mm -hmm. Like now I trust myself. If I set a goal, right. I'm reluctant to set a goal. When mm -hmm. I set a goal, like I know I'm going to commit to that. And I'm a very obsessive type person. Like I can only mm -hmm. focus on about two real things at the same time. Right. But if, but if I focus on those couple things, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm going to do it. And I, I you know, I'm not chubby because I'm lazy. I'm chubby <laughs> because I had different goals of, you know, right. I made a lot of money. I went mm -hmm. to the right schools. I did you know, numerous other things that I'm proud of, but um, helped a lot of friends and clients make make money and have a lot of financial freedom in their lives. Uh, I'm not chubby because I'm lazy. I'm chubby because that wasn't my priority. And right. I was willing to sacrifice that while accomplishing other things, you mm -hmm. know? Um, but yeah, when I, when, I, when I put something in my head that I'm going to do something, I know I'm going to do it. And I don't give a shit about how I feel about it. Like, right. I don't, I'm not, when, when, when some dude tells me like an adult man or, you know, what should be an adult woman tells me about, you know, oh, my feelings, like, I, don't, I don't give a fuck about your feelings. I tell that to anybody that works with me. Mm -hmm. I don't give a shit how you feel. Right. Don't, don't tell me about your fucking feelings. I don't give a shit how I feel. That's right. If you want so to, I definitely don't care how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care how I feel about it. I'm going to get up every day and go do the thing that, mm -hmm. you know, I've been doing this for years. I got a track record. I'm doing this. So now my brain, this, this helped me. It might help you. Um, this helped me is that, you know, I'm going to do the goddamn thing anyway. If I set a goal, I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. And I trust myself. I have a long history of that behavior. I trust myself. I know if I'm bullshitting myself. Am I going to do the thing? Right. Am I committed to the thing? Mm -hmm. And then the profound thought that shouldn't be very profound, honestly, but it mm -hmm. was to me profound thought like, well, if I'm going to do the thing anyway, I might as well be in the best mood that I could possibly be in without violating the rules of doing the thing, you know, right. without lying to yourself, without starting to let a little lie or a little bullshit or a little softness creep in. Mm -hmm. So you might as well be in the best mood possible without contradicting reality, without, right. without starting to lie to yourself. And that helped me a lot, actually. That it might seem like just a, I'm a little yeah. embarrassed to say that, but that helped my life. No, a lot. I don't, I don't think you should be. My wife says something. She's, <clears throat> she's a hard ass, man. She's, she's, she does she gives no fucks about how I feel. Uh, and, and, I think she's been the best thing that's ever happened to me it's as far as my mindset and, and just, you know, accomplishing my own shit. Um, cause she is a hard ass. And, and, but the one thing that she said, um, so I do my training camps in Denver, I guess for people that don't know, I live in Omaha, Nebraska, but I do my training camps in Denver. So seven, eight, nine weeks. Is that Trevor's camp or somebody else? Uh, no, Mark Montoya, factory X. Um, Trevor's fantastic though. Really good guy. Um, so I'm, you know, Monday through Friday, I'm in Denver. I fly home on the weekend, see my family and kids. So the, the travel starts to wear on me. And, and typically the first couple of weeks are miserable because I'm just, I'm not in the flow of being out of town and away from my family for so long. And, and I'm just, I'm, I'm almost not, I'm almost purposely not allowing myself to enjoy it. Um, Cause there's some guilt that comes along with that. There's, 
you know, I'm missing things and, and I know my family misses me and, and I know that me being gone makes it harder on them a little bit. So, um, so I almost don't allow myself to, to enjoy it. So it's, it's, again, it comes back to like, I have to do this. This is the, this is the means to an end. This is the part of the goal. This is what I have to do. Um, but I don't have to like it, you know, I just, but I have to do it. So, um, but she's, she said to me, if you're going to be there, at least try to enjoy, like people will be like, Hey, you want to go out to dinner? You want to, you don't have to practice. You want to go, when I go hit some golf balls you wanna, or whatever. And I was like, no, 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 <laughs> I'm not here to have fun. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm here to accomplish a goal and that's it. And you know, my wife started telling me, she's like, you're going to drive yourself crazy. If you don't allow yourself to enjoy it a little bit, like find some way to essentially be in the best mood that you possibly can. Uh, if you're going to do it anyways, like you're going to do the damn thing, try to be, try to figure out a way to enjoy it. And, and that's helped me a lot. Um, at least being away, you know, in those first couple of weeks before I kind of get in the flow and the vibe of being out of town. And then, then I kind of just get into autopilot and it is what it is. But, um, I, I think that's a, a value, a valuable point that you're going to do it anyways. You got to try to find a way to, every day is not going to be like that. It's, it's not you or me, man, but you know, that we had a different path, but a lot of people out there, when they hear that, then they immediately start inserting some bullshit and they start making excuses and rationalizations mm -hmm to not actually do what they're supposed to do. Right. You know, that, that's, right. that's the, the dangerous line there that like, right. I'm you, not going out and partying and missing practices. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you, you gotta, you gotta stay focused, but if you can stay focused and discipline, I think discipline is one of the most important words when it comes to life in general, but you can do that. And, and, you know, I'm not saying don't enjoy yourself. You know what I mean? I think that sometimes it does get lost in my, in my, my whole point when I'm saying, you know, nobody cares and, and you don't have to feel good about it. I'm not saying that it's not, you're not allowed to feel good about it. I'm saying you're just not always going to. Um, and I do think people get caught in that sometimes. I, I think that's one more, <clears throat> you know, maybe one of the last points we'll make, but a very fantastic one is you, nobody cares about your success. Mm -hmm. Like you, you got to do things and you got to do things because you want to do them. And if I'm really honest with myself, that, um, I'd like to say like, oh, I did everything for me. You know, every, everything is, uh, it was important to me. And that's mostly true, which for most people, that'd be bullshit. For me, that's like, it's like 90% true that like, I, I knew early on, you know, I didn't like being poor. I didn't like being around a bunch of, you know, dumb people. And that just, I don't know a nicer way to say it. I know I don't want to be around a bunch of misfits, making bad decisions, um, having terrible life outcomes, you mm -hmm. know. So I'm like, well, you know, I got to earn a better place in the world. And I didn't think that was going to be given to me. Even, even in my most naive early life dream, I didn't think that was going to be given to me. I'm like, I, you know, how do I earn a better spot? Like, what, do, what do I have to do to be qualified to have higher quality friends, higher quality mentors, teachers, you know, mm -hmm. et cetera. And so I, I was looking inside in an early age of like, um, you know, read some books, watch a documentary, you know, learn, you know, if you learned more, you might earn more, you know, that, mm -hmm. Smart people tend to have better outcomes than dumb yeah. people, you know? So if you're dedicated to a life of stupidity and it doesn't turn out well, you know, I, I, you know, it's probably a correlation there. There might be a reason for that. So, but, you know, maybe the other 10%, I had some, I think everybody has some percentage of this. I think it was a low percentage for me relative to a lot of people, but maybe 10% of that is, you know, I wanted the, you know, esteem of other people or, you know, I wanted to be liked by a certain type of people. And, um, and, you know, I, I did really good at, the things that I focused on, you know, I, I wanted to go to a good business school. I went to the number one business school in our country for graduate school. 
out of 416, I went to the number one program, which is very, you know, the average person there has a genius level IQ. It's like they're not impressed with your genius level IQ there, you know, <laughs> like everybody does. So, you know, that was good. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of the things I'm much more proud of really were business accomplishments that a lot of my classmates went there to go get a job, you know. Right. I quit my last job when I was 19. I never had another job. So I just built businesses and you know, real mm -hmm. estate related, looked at investing and made, um, made a lot of good decisions in, you know, real estate and stock market investments. Um, but man, you know, the, uh, <laughs> if you're doing that thinking that somebody else cares or somebody else is going to be impressed, like, no, nobody cares. No, you know what I, you know what I learned about that. You might have a different take. Is anybody else that did something significant? You know, you and I don't know each other for so long. It's our first time having a conversation on camera. Mm -hmm. And but I feel like we know each other quite well, and I, I, and I sense that from you that we mm -hmm. had enough enough shared stories or enough yeah. you know wins and losses in different areas in life that we were relatable to one another. Right. You know? So I think that's the thing that I got from that that. Because nobody gives a shit that you're like, uh, the people that share your name aren't going to be your best friend, you know? Right. But the, tr the struggles that you have to go through to go be somebody, to do something, other people who went through that path, um, they'll find you relatable. You'll be able to, that'll be your only real friends because mm -hmm. of other people who haven't done that, haven't gone through their version of that journey, they're not going to find you relatable anymore. So you will have friends that are, if you make a path that you're going to be more wealthy, more famous, et cetera. I don't give a shit about people. I still don't want to be famous. I don't, I, mm -hmm. I learned, I want to make money and help like people I care about. Right. I don't want to help everybody. I don't right. want to save the world. I don't want to save the dolphins. Right. I, I want to help a few thousand people that are kind of my type of people. Right. I want to have, you know, very selfishly, I want to have like sincere friendships and relationships. That mm -hmm. I don't make a lot of friends. People I'm friends with, a lot of them I've been friends for five, 10, 15 years, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm a good long-term friend. I don't want any new friends that are just half. I want to spend time with people that I don't really like, you know? Right. So I think those those were right. some gifts that that I got from that path. But like, but um, you know, you know, the visual I get from that. Shit. The visual. Sorry to cut you off, but the visual I get is is I think people think when they get like super successful or they win at whatever they're trying to be at, they it's almost like this Superman mentality where they're like stand at the top of the building <laughs> with this cape and their fists on their hips. But then like everyone else who's successful is already there, and it's kind of like okay, idiot, we get it. Us too. Sit down and shut up. And then like, then you're in your kind of group of people, but there's no like this aha mo. And I haven't even, I, ha I, whatever success looks like for me, I don't, I haven't gotten there yet. Um, We're both still young. We got a lot of fights. Yeah. I got a lot, a lot of things to do. do. And I think I have a whole nother career, you know, this, I think those goals change too over time. Like the world title was that summit and that's no longer what that is. That's, that's now the one that's on the way to get where I actually want to be. Um, and I think that that's, I think that's a natural evolution as, as you start to attain things and you start to climb, like now it's not that far away and that's not actually what I want anymore. Like I do want that, but I want that because I need that. And now, now that looks different. Mm -hmm. Um, so now the, the world title is something I need to get to the next step. And then that, and, and that's, I think that's how just success in life happens. It's, I don't think you ever reach it. Like, I think it just, you just keep moving the bar higher and then eventually you die. <laughs> I think that's just how, I, I think like truly successful people, I think that's how it happens. I, I'm sure that success to you now probably looks much different than it did in your twenties. Like 
I'm sure you blew right by whatever that was, whatever that was in your twenties, right? <laughs> blew right by that and just kept if, raising that bar. I, I, I say this, you know, very like I'm pumping gas just fine. And that one, at one point in time, that was successful. I get groceries just fine. I don't, uh, I don't worry about that at all. And so I blew right by that one, you know, and that's, and it just keeps on going. If I, when I was 20 years old, if I could have thought I'd have 15% of my current financial circumstances and cool life experiences that I had, mm-hmm. I would have signed a contract at age 20 <laughs> if I could have got 15% of what I currently had. And just stayed there. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it was, it was unimaginable to me at that age. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, you, you'll find this relatable, but that was, it's been a, uh, an emotional idea, a scary idea in some ways, and, and an emotional idea that uh, the, the, the main thought I want to say is this, is that um, if I would have set bigger goals, I wonder if I could have done even more. And you know, yeah. where I'm sitting here today, you know, I'm, I'm over 50 million now, and I'm still 42 years old. Jesus. And That's fantastic. I think to myself, I'm like, well, if I would have set goals earlier to be, now I knew I was going to get 10, 25 million. I knew mm-hmm. I'd get 10 million. I knew it. And I, I knew it, like I knew it in my heart. And like, I'd rather die than not get that. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I'm like, I'm gonna go find 2025. And I believe that to be true, mm-hmm. but it's, it seemed like a reach. And I thought I might be older. And you know, you just chipped away for a long time. You know, for mm-hmm. me, I made my first entrepreneurial money when I was seven. And um, you know, I just kept wow. chipping away at that. So it's 35 years ago, you know? I think that's a, a valid point. Um, do you know the owner's leaf filter? No, I don't. Uh, anyways, so I had a conversation <clears throat> with them one time. Um, uh, I had a conversation with them one time and it, it wasn't about anything. It was genuinely just a, just a conversation. There was no goal in the conversation. Um, and we we're talking about kind of goal setting and, you know, what, what's your plans? And, um, you know, I, I love talking to people that are, that are doing much better than me just to try to steal a piece of their mindset and <clears throat> hopefully add it to my own. So, um, I had this thing where, Essentially, what he was saying is my goals weren't big enough. And that's kind of what you were talking about. Like, I didn't set, maybe I'm not setting high enough goals. And they had this thing like a sales meeting uh, with all their salespeople. And, and they were like, all right, we're going to set this goal. If you guys reach this goal, what do you want? And the people were like, we're never going to hit that goal. Like, that's impossible. And he said, okay, <clears throat> if you do, what do you want? And someone was like, jokingly, was like, we want an office dog. And he said, that's exactly what's wrong with all of you guys. I'll get you a dog right now. Like it, that's pretty easy to do. Like I can get you a dog. Someone in the back yells, we want a giraffe. And he was like, done. Just like right there. He's like, all right, done. You guys meet that goal. I'll get you guys a giraffe for the office. And it was just like this long ongoing joke. Right. Um, so then they're like, you know, a couple months from the end of the year. And he says, Oh fuck, they're going to hit the goal. And now I have to find a giraffe. <laughs> so he, he legitimately, uh, starts searching zoos, going all over the country, trying to purchase a giraffe for the office. Turns out you can't have a giraffe in the middle of Cleveland. Um, but they, there is an actual City giraffe. City planners are no fun. Right. There's an actual giraffe um, at a zoo outside of Cleveland that is, that is, theirs, that is their giraffe. Sponsored like by the their, office. Their office giraffe. Like they actually own it. They pay yearly to, to feed it and house it and take care of it. Like, and, and so like that always stuck out to me. Like, I just, my brain never, I was always reaching way further than maybe I needed to, but like that made me start thinking, uh, maybe I'm not reaching far enough. I have those thoughts. I, I have, you know, success for me longer term is um, I, I want to spend more time doing things that I want to do instead of making myself do hard things that 
I probably don't have, I don't need more hardcore financial goals. If mm-hmm. I just do what I'm doing and maintain right. that on autopilot, I'm going to find a few hundred million. Mm-hmm. I'll find at least 300 million. That's, that's really the new number in my head that I know in my heart I can do that. Right. And maybe I'm going to have a billion dollars and maybe I'm not. And I don't know what the fuck else I'm going to buy with a billion dollars that I couldn't have anything that I wanted. You know, like right. I have everything I want, except like I'd like to have a nice jet. I don't yeah. give a shit about a boat. And like, yeah. I got one of the most fabulous penthouses in the city I live in. I got mm-hmm. anything I really want, I could go buy one, you know? Right. So for me, you know, I had to start setting new goals that I want to go. Uh, I need to have fitness goals, you know? I need to lose about 30 pounds. You know, I'm still at an age that you know, my body is going to cooperate and do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started getting a lot more trainers, you know, that had, you know, fantastic, you know, multi-time world champion coaches and trainers come work with me. And, you know, that, that created an accountability mechanism that, uh, you know, there, there's a, a time recently where I had to work really hard. I slept about four hours on average for about eight nights in a row. I didn't have to do that, but I, I made, a, I made commitments and I didn't want to disappoint anybody. Right. And then I had, you know, flight cancellation, rebooking twice in a week. Mm-hmm. So these things happened that that's how it turned out. Well, at the same time, I had Mike Chandler scheduled to come over and we're going to train together for three days. So, you know, when Mike comes over and I got, you know, a bit of a sinus infection and I'm really sleep deprived, um, am I going to say, oh, you know, hey, Mike, you know, I'm a little tired. (laughs) 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 Hey, Mike, I'm a little tired. Like, maybe I should take a nap, Mike, you know, Mm -hmm. am I going to say that or am I going to be like, all right, well, success gods don't care what I feel like, you know what I mean? Let me get, get thrown, you know, single mm-hmm. leg takedown, double leg takedown yeah. 150 times, regardless of what I feel like, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, when you, you know, you, you totally get that. But um, I had to create new types of accountability mechanisms that to be with people that I respect, that there's, there's no way I'm going to disappoint or I'd feel embarrassed to come say, right. you know, hey, man, you know, hey, bro, like just chill today. Thanks for flying to my home. Right. Thanks for flying over here, spending, you know, two and a half days away from your family, mm-hmm. changing your life up for the week. You know, just, just chill though while I take a nap, yeah. you know? Yeah. So you, you create mechanisms like that. Like um, I train with these guys, like we'll get like four training sessions in and, you know, 50 hours. Uh, so show up on day, you know, show up on a Tuesday. Uh, we'll train for a couple hours and we'll get two sessions in on Wednesday, a couple hours early in the day, a couple hours later, mm-hmm. a couple more hours on Thursday before they fly out. And, you know, on that fourth session, there's never a time where like, I'm like, you know, after boxing for, you know, right. you, you hit shit. I can't wait to get there. Yeah. I can't <laughs> wait to go, you know, have Paul Lee scream in my fucking face, of, mm-hmm. uh, hit the mats, punch through the pad, break his fucking teeth, push his nose through his skull. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got a, a multi-time world champion boxer training with you and like, you know, all my hands, sore, you know, all my hands, sore, <laughs> all my knuckles really bruised, you know, mm-hmm. but now you're going to do the thing. So. That, that created accountability mechanisms for me that I, I've got good at setting things up like that, that, but I'm, I'm shifting away from the idea of, you know, money, money, money focused and be like, all right, like the point of getting some money was to have more freedom, you know? Mm-hmm. So what are the things that are going to give you, that so are still what are you going to do with your freedom? Yeah. They're still goal, goal oriented that that part mm-hmm. of my brain is satisfied that I'm learning new, th- I have to learn things. I'm not the type of guy that wants to retire ever, you know? Right. So I'd rather die, you know, like I'm just going to work on a project till I'm dead because I can't help myself. You know? Right. So, you know, if I, if I have a goal like that. That's what I said too. You're just going to keep building those yeah. and then eventually you die. Yeah. That's just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's no end, there's no, there's no like end zone. You, you did more stuff and had more fun than most people mm-hmm. probably, you know? Um, you know, Bob Dylan said, you know, the, 
Uh, it's a little hippie-ish for me, but Bob Dylan says, you know, a guy, a guy wakes up in the morning, uh, goes to sleep at night, and he says, what is success? And he says, success is when a guy wakes up in the morning and goes to sleep at night and does what he wants to during the day. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's not, you know, I'm not the type of guy that's going to, you know, chill and smoke weed or something. I'm, I'm the t- right. I got to go do something. I don't feel mm-hmm. good about myself if I'm not learning something and doing something, mm-hmm. you know? So, but I just have to shift what that is. I have to shift that. And, you know, that, that'll be better for my health. That'll be better for my, um, and it would be a lot, it'll be good for me for a lot of reasons, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I know that, um, my long-term outcomes are going to be fantastic because of it, but I'm at a little transition point psychologically from obsessing about, you know, financial success mm-hmm. versus, you know, maintaining the things that are working well there. Right. But, you know, they're getting my boxing skills up, getting mm-hmm. my MMA skills up and, and I'm uh, doing the opposite, being a better physical. I'm, I'm using the, boxing and MMA skills to try to find my financial freedom. <laughs> I'm just doing it the opposite way. All right. Well, I'm going to get, put you on the spot on camera right now. So we're going to set up our schedule to go train together. Let's do it. And don't make me edit that out. So no, I'm they, they're going to, the same people that look at this are going to be watching <laughs> us train together in the future yeah. over in Chicago. So uh, we built a fantastic facility. I took that so seriously. I spent more than $2 million on training facilities in my office. No shit. So I have better than a professional gym. I have a fantastic professional gym. I have a room just for wrestling and grappling. I have a room just wow. for boxing. And uh, I destroyed several homes and we reconfigured them in a building. So we have, uh, have a studio there and a lot of training facilities. So oh, shit. But I had to take it seriously. Oh, I wasn't going to do it. Mm-hmm. So I got to do something fully or I won't do it. You know. Right. So I'd love to train together. I'd love to, to put in some time together. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I know there's a lot I could learn from you there. Yeah, that'd be a blast. I, I would have a lot of fun doing that. I, I love coaching and, and teaching. And again, you know, I talk about some of these veterans and the, and the guys that are out there, it's just, I have so much shit in my brain of just fight related stuff that, you know, if you're not teaching it, you, it's really just wasted. It truly is. Bro, I'll put in the work. I'm a quick learner and I'll put in the work and I don't care who I, I want, I want to, oh, I'll go with Tommy. <laughs> like, I'm going to show up and <laughs> do my best, you know? Yeah, I'm in. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I love it. I love it. Last thing I got to ask you. Tell me about you know mentors or people people that you trained with mentors coaches. Did you have the success you did without having a you know good training partners, good mentors and coaches around no, you? You no. had to at some time. Yeah, yeah. You there's I, I, honestly I don't know what the formula for that is. Um, I've been very fortunate to to always. It's not always been the same person. You know those people have come and gone and and um, I think sometimes at the time they were who I needed in that moment. Um, right now, um, you know, my jujitsu coach is, uh, I've had the same jujitsu coach my entire career. Um, he's, you know, it started, he started as a kind of like a, uh, like an older brother figure, you know, and, and he's kind of, as he's gotten older and, and, you know, he's in his mid forties, I'm still, you know, in my early thirties. So he, he's kind of transitioned to more of a father figure kind of person to me that I'd never really had, but, um, you know, it, it, you got to have people around you that you, you're going to be, you're going to be as successful as the people around you for no reason. So <clears throat> it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be the same level of success, but you have to be around people that have the same mindset or, or care enough about you and aren't getting anything out of it. Um, and you can't really search and find those people. Sometimes they, they kind of come to you or you find yourself weaving your way into situations that they happen to be in as well. But, um, you know, early on, there was a guy I talk about him all the time. His name was Marty Anderson. He, he, he took me, I, I had some amateur fights and 
wasn't doing very well. I wasn't really training and, and Marty kind of took me under his wing. He was, a, he was an older guy. He had a gym built in the back of his house. It was, uh, you know, pretty bullshit at the time. And, and I trained with him from that moment, all the way through my entire amateur career, um, all the way through my pro debut. And, and as I got more successful, I outgrew what his capabilities of training me were. Um, but it wasn't just the physical part of it. He hit, he guided me through that time in my life. And, um, he was the person I brought my problems to, whether they were life or fighting or career or girlfriends or whatever it was. Um, and then as I went on and that moved me right into, to Scotty, who was still with me to this day. Um, he's one of my, my closest, it's hard to even call him a friend. Cause I feel like that's not, uh, an accurate representation of what he actually is to me. Um, he's, he's much closer than that, but Mark Montoya is, uh, is another guy. He's my head coach. Now uh, I've been with him since 2017. Um, I just kind of outgrew the, the gym and fighting situation in, in Omaha. I just can't be the, the big fish in a little pond and expect that you're going to, you're going to attain super incredible things. You kind of, you kind of got to eat shit and you, you have to be around people that are better than you, um, that are more successful than you. Um, the, the best guy in the room is not going to be the best guy in the room for very long um, because everyone around him is going to continue to get better chasing him. If, you, if you're the best guy in the room, you're not chasing anybody. And, and you either like people are either front runners um, or, or they're really good at chasing. I'm personally a chaser. Um, I need to see something in front of me that I'm trying to find. Um, and I, that's, that's my competitive itch. That's I'm constantly chasing something else. It's whether it's the person in front of me, whether it's like literally chasing someone and, and we're racing in strength and conditioning or, or I'm trying to beat that guy in the gym. Like, you, and you got to find ways to handicap yourself. So if I was just to get in a straight up fight with anybody in my gym, as much as I love those guys, I don't mean to say any kind of disrespectful way. It's probably not anyone in the gym that's going to beat me. Um, but there's ways that we can handicap me and we can take away certain tools that I have and then throw me in there without those tools and figure that out. So I, I think that's a whole nother piece of kind of my success. But, um, you know, Mark is that, is that guy. He, I trust him with, with my life. I trust him with my career. I trust Scotty with my life and my career. And, and, um, they make my job very, very easy. They make the hard decisions. They, They've already done it with other people. They know how not to do it. They know where things are going to work. They know where it's not going to work. Um, but I, you know, a lot of that comes down to trust. You, you can have all the mentors come into your life that you want, but if you don't trust any of them, they don't really, they don't really matter. I, I wouldn't have done shit if I didn't go out of my way to go find better teachers, better mentors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was willing to work hard, but if you're working hard on the wrong things, you're moving in the wrong direction. It might be making your life worse. Right. If you're working hard on the wrong things, you're mm -hmm. literally making your life worse. So, I had to go find, I agree with what you said entirely, that I had to go find people that I trust, that I knew generally had my best interest in mind, and they mm -hmm. had a better vision than I did. Right. And, and then put in the work. Mm -hmm. Put in the work. And, and they that. have to want to do it for nothing. And I'm not saying everyone, uh, that everyone, I think, in relationships gets something out of that. But you got to be careful, especially like in the sports world. Everyone wants to attach themselves to you a lot of it's financial gain a lot. You know what I mean? It's a, so like the people that I found are people that want to help you just because they want to see you be successful, you know? And then I think there's a lot of people that like, I feel good helping people 
do something, whether it's coaching or whatever, like I feel good when someone does something well that I help them do. Um, turns out I, not a lot of people are like that. I, I do too, but I can't help it. You know, if I, if I asked 8 billion people in the world, you know, Hey, would you like me to spend, you know, countless hours of my life to help you be more financially successful? There'd be, most of them would say yes. Right. And there has to be a filter there of like, who are the, who are the ones who are serious? Who are the people that value my time, value mm -hmm. the contribution that I would make? Right. You can't, there's a lot of people that would love for you to come coach them or train them right. for something. You mm -hmm. got to find somebody that's, they're going sure. to respect who you are and the mm -hmm. sacrifice you're making to spend right. important time of your day mm -hmm. doing you know, something instead of something else. There's a balance so, there for sure. I said this early, like it's, I can't help the whole damn world. I got to help the few people that I know that they're, they're serious, they're committed, they value my time, they respect the, that contribution to their life, and mm -hmm. they do the damn work. Right. And they do the work. I don't want any clients. I just throw people out of my programs. If they don't, if they don't do the homework, they don't do the assignments, we just throw them out. I don't give them a refund. I don't say sorry. I'm not mm -hmm. sorry. I'm sorry that they signed up. Right. I'm sorry that they squandered my time. Mm -hmm. I'm, and you know who, what else I'm sorry? I'm most sorry that they wasted the time of my other clients because 80% of the people that take a program with me, they complete the program, they did the work. It's not easy. And, you know, those are, these are things that I help people learn things that are like going to help them create long-term success and mm -hmm. create really different um, outcomes in their long-term financial future. And right. if somebody wants to get rich quick, they should go anywhere else. You know? Right. It's like, imagine like all the things that you've learned in the things that you know about martial arts that uh, it'd be impossible for me to know, you know? So if, you know, imagine yeah. if somebody comes to you and says, you know, hey man, can you just teach me that shit this weekend? Yeah. I was like, what a, what a disrespect to yeah, it doesn't the, work like that. the time and effort and what mm -hmm. a disrespect to reality to begin with and the time and effort to you as an individual that you've put in to, to be the person you are and learn those lessons. So yeah, I, I really appreciate you spending the time. You know, thank you for making it a priority to come here and, and chat with me and. Uh, share some of your story with the audience. You got a XM, serious XM radio show. Can you tell mm -hmm. me a bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I appreciate, first of all, I appreciate you guys having me. Um, I'm glad that, that we could make it work. It's I've had a lot of fun. It's been a great conversation. Um, no one's more fun than Derek Moneyberg. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot of, I've had a lot of fun and it's a good <laughs> conversation. It's, uh, I don't think that I don't get to have these kind of conversations very often, you know, like not a lot of people are into the deep thinking, uh, you know, kind of route to success and, and, you know, the ingredients that go into the meal, you know, a lot of, most people aren't super interested in that. Um, they just want to see what happens at the end. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have a serious XM, uh, radio show. It's called, uh, fights on fight nation channel One Fifty Six. channel One Fifty Six fight nation. Tell them about it. Yeah. We, we just talk about fights. It's all things MMA. You know, it's fun. It's loose. It's flowy. It's, it's, uh, it's behind a paywall. It's paid, you know, satellite radio. So we can, we say what we want. It's a, you know, there's, there's not a lot of uh, censorship going on. We do what we want. We say what we want. Um, the show goes wherever we want it to go. So, um, and then on the other side, a little more buttoned up, I, I work for ESPN and the UFC doing uh, uh, behind the desk analysts and just talking about the, the, the fights, the, and essentially my job is to promote the fighters. Um, I love the UFC, but, um, they do a good job promoting themselves. My job is to, to be the voice for the fighters. Um, and, and, and try to tell stories. I tell the why and the how, um, there's a lot of promoters out there and, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys that are, are hired by the UFC to, to be the big boisterous, loud guys. Uh, I'm the, I'm the why and the how guy, uh, I like the X's and the O's. So if you like, uh, you like guys to nerd out and, and tell you exactly why things are happening and how they happen, uh, that's, that's what I'm there for. What's the best place for them to find you on social media? Um, Twitter and Instagram. It's totally me, 
um, ran by me. I don't do the Facebook thing. I can't do the dumpster fire, but, um, what's your on, handle in there? Uh, it's at Lionheart A Smith on both, uh, on both platforms. Lionheart A Smith. Lionheart A Smith. Follow Lionheart A Smith. Thanks again, Anthony, for spending the time. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it, man. Thank you.